This is Molly Livingstone for the Mid-East Beast Podcast, and I am recording today from a home in Nakhlaot of a soon-to-be film star. He laughs as I say it, but you're going to want to listen to this because it is a crazy story, which obviously makes for an amazing movie. A movie about Megan Phelps Roper, who left the viciously anti-gay Westboro Baptist Church after a Twitter correspondence with a prominent Jewish blogger is now in the works and will be written by Nick Hornby, which like excites me to no end. So we are here with that prominent Jewish blogger, David Abitbull, the Jew. founder of Jewelicious. But actually today we're going to be talking about how you are might be famous. I know that you hate that part, but I'm from LA. So I, I think of that part, like I already asked you if you're going to walk on the red carpet for this movie, because this is like a real Hollywood movie reported in Variety. And let's get to sort of the bare bones of this story before my little one, who you allowed me to bring today, because you also have a little baby, a brand new baby, Mazaltov. Tell me a little bit about the background of this story, how someone who is Jewish is corresponding on Twitter with someone who is like anti-everything. How does it start? It started off easily enough. Uh, as, as a prominent Jewish blogger, I attract every kind of crazy person who disagrees with everything that I say and tells me in no uncertain terms. And it wasn't a surprise when Megan Phelps Roper contacted me with you know, a typically offensive Westboro Baptist Church style message. And she found me because the JTA did a list of the most influential tweeters the most influential jewish tweeters and i was number two on the list she followed everybody on that list and sent them all messages i'm the only one that responded it was yum kipper and when you were on twitter at the time what you do is you send out a message to everybody saying if you're fasting i hope you have an easy one or a meaningful one or whatever and she responded you know shouldn't you be telling them to really repent and she she talked about judaism's dead rote rituals and it was like a typical Westboro Baptist Church message. Very, very hateful, very mean. And uh, I just kind of laughed it off and made fun of her. We started, a, we started a dialogue after that. What did you say? They say things like, God hates fags. And I can imagine she wasn't friendly. So what was your actual attack? She, she started off quoting... Quoting the devil. No, quoting like from, from the New Testament. And I told her that that wouldn't work on me. I don't believe in the concept of a New Testament. I don't believe in the New Testament at all. And she can quote that to me from here till eternity, and it's not going to be very compelling. So she started finding Old Testament quotes. And then I told her that her translations were off, and she would know that if she spoke Hebrew, like I do. Oh, so what you're saying is you had, like, an intellectual battle. It wasn't like, you're a stupid penis head or something like that. Oh, it went beyond that, because then when I told her that point about the Hebrew, then she decided she was going to learn Hebrew. So I became her Hebrew teacher because she would contact me every day with like (laughs) her Hebrew word of the day, or she would, you know, write Shabbat Shalom in Hebrew. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so confused. This was six years ago. Yeah. And she's now turned to you as a Hebrew teacher slash hater. Right. While still telling me I'm going to hell. Crikey. Okay. You have to understand they hate, they don't just hate Everyone. You know, they gays, everyone. they hate everyone. They were like, Obama is the devil from hell. Yeah. Just to give you an, an example, one of Megan's jobs was when people would send them money to support their church, her job was to take the money, send it back, 
and tell the people that sent the money that they were going to hell anyway and a couple of bucks wouldn't make make a difference. Can you imagine uh, that? No, as a Jewish person, <laughs> I cannot imagine that a, a little bit. That is absolutely insane. They would just send the money back with a hateful message. Wow. If only we could like figure that out and have it sent to Israel. That would be amazing. Okay, that's for another time. But that's that's principled. Okay. That's, right? Okay, so she's like, hardcore. The how, whole family's hardcore. How do you... And she's the granddaughter... Of the founder. Of the founder. And she's in charge of their social media outreach. Right. And she also pickets. And she's ingrained, brainwashed, propagandized into the whole system 100%. from birth. Cut out of the womb, straight into the devil's arms, so to speak. Right. And how do you and 140 characters on Twitter start convincing her to see the other side, open her mind up a little bit? So I, I'm out there on social media a lot, and I've always been out there. The, the first website I did was an anti-hate website where we would make fun of like Nazi websites and whatnot. And, and we had a list early on in the early days of the web of all the hate sites on the internet. Wow, that list probably was short then, but now. No, no, it was actually pretty big. Yeah, okay. It was pretty big. Because like when I first when I first got on <laughs> when I first got on on the web, you know, most people look for like naked ladies. Yes, I mean, not I, me I live I live in Montreal. We have a strip joint on every street corner, so naked ladies were uninteresting, but hate groups were interesting. And so I found Nazis, and I found their their website too, GodHatesFags.com. That was right from the early, early, early oh, days in 1994. That's why I get that domain name. Okay, got it. They have JewsKillJesus.com. They have just all kinds of crazy stuff. In any event, so I had a list of like all these hate sites that I would scour the internet looking for them, and then after a while, it became a really prominent list. We were covered by the New York Times, Jim Lehrer News Hour, so. Nazi webmasters started sending me their websites to be included. Like they wanted to be on the list, even though we were like an anti-hate website. And we'd have dialogue. And I found that once we'd get beyond the whole like, oh, you're a Jew and you're terrible and you're trying to take over the world and whatnot. Yeah, and then we'd talk about like yeah, HTML. Yeah, yeah. They'd ask me like, oh, how'd you do that thing on your website? <laughs> and we talk about common interests once once you, you start to humanize mm. yourself in the eyes of the other, then it's really, really hard for them to maintain that level of hatred. There's, there's a reason why the Holocaust was preceded by movies picturing Jews as vermin. Because you don't think twice about stepping on a cockroach. But if you can relate to the cockroach, if that's like a really charming cockroach... Yeah, that would never happen, but okay. <laughs> Um, then it's it's much harder to do it. So I, I learned early on that like finding things that you have in common with people that hate you makes it really difficult for them to continue hating you, especially when that hate is innately irrational to begin with. I'm I mean I'm not taking over the world. I you know I I don't go to meetings of the elders of Zion and you know I'm not out to undermine white people in Christianity. It's interesting. So when I started corresponding with Megan. You know, I made it a point to, to, to come off as, as genuine and authentic and human and funny and empathetic and, and, all, that, and all that sort of thing. And, and she took the bait. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't I, I never thought I would turn her. Okay. You know, I just thought I have a certain number of followers. She has a certain number of followers. People are reading our conversations and I have a responsibility 
to counter what she says. And the most effective way to do it is not by calling her names or, or with anger and vitriol, but by sticking to facts, by having a dispassionate conversation about theology. Her the- their theology was all kinds of wrong, like objectively wrong. So what was the turning point? When did she have the light bulb of sanity in her mind that she turned I mean, the corner? We met, we met in person a couple of times. Stop it. She picketed our, our festival. Her family, our, her family came to the Jewish festival for three days and stood outside with signs saying, your rabbi is a whore and Ugh. dragging flags of Israel on the ground with like blood stains on them and whatnot. And I went out there and I was like, hey, Megan, how you doing? Nice to finally meet you. <laughs> wow, dude, you have thick <laughs> skin in order to do that. And no, but I mean, it's, it's theater. Right. It's, a lot of it is theater. So they're, just, they're just trying to get attention. And, and, and it works. And it works. Okay, so works when, great. They're like a tiny little church with like maybe 80 people in it. And they have, you know, they're making a movie about them. Who cares about, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. So for you, when is the point? Where do you see her? So the second, the second time we met was at the GA in New Orleans. This is the General Assembly for Jews. The General Assembly of Jewish North Federa- America. Yeah, Federations, blah, whatever. Blah, Jewish. I brought them halva from the Shook. Of course you did. And they brought That's me... That's like a, just to explain to people that have never had this delicious treat, it's made from sesame seed. And lots of sugar. And the shook is the open air market, so it may have other added bonuses like cat poop in the ingredients. But fine. <laughs> you weren't trying to Not poison cat, her. cigarette ash, for sure cigarette. cigarette ash. Okay. So you give her this as a present? So I gave her that as a present, and we chatted and talked, and then... Around that time, I had a, a again a theological discussion about the nature of repentance and forgiveness, and for them, like if you're gay, death immediately. And I I told them it's like you know homosexuality isn't the only capital offense in the Bible, like adultery is a capital offense in in the Bible. And I didn't say your mom had a kid out of wedlock. I just said you have a member of your church that had a child out of wedlock, which is bad adultery. Why, why isn't she dead? Oh, because she repented. Oh, well, she has a chance to repent. Mm. And then it was like, that was it. Ooh. That was it. After that argument, I didn't hear from her for like two years. Wow. Oh. And nothing, like radio silence. And then, mom, and then she sent... Uh, your mama joke brought her down. It wasn't a joke. It was a serious point about Jesus and the adulterous woman who was about to be stoned. And he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone... And then everybody put their stones down and he told her, go forth and sin no more. So presumably she repented. But their theology doesn't give gays any opportunity to repent. Now, this isn't something I necessarily believe in, but it's a logical inconsistency in, in, in what they say. that It highlights their obsession with homosexuals to the exclusion of everything else that the Bible prohibits. Like, do they eat lobster, you know? All right, before you digress too much, and I can see how the conversations obviously developed, and from there you turn from enemies to frenemies to friends. And she basically, at that point, turns and realizes she has to leave the church? I mean, things were hard at the church in general. Uh, There was new, more radical leadership. Her mother was being shunted aside as a spokesperson, and she tried to go out and pick it and not hold the death penalty for fags sign up in order to be consistent. She asked the elders about their advice and they were like, that's a stupid point, while not giving her an explanation. 
So then she she left. She you know it's not a cult. They don't force you to stay. And she just told her parents she was leaving, and her and her sister went off and drove to like South Dakota and and sent me an email telling me that they were going to announce that they'd left the church, and wow. it was it was because of me. Wow. This is the first thing I heard from them in two years, and I'm like, what South Dakota? The hell are you yeah. doing there? So yeah. it was around that the time of them. She literally went to repent in hell. Yeah, no it was yeah. South Dakota. It's a nice town. I, I actually met the people whose house she stayed in. They came to Israel about a month and a half ago, and they were very nice. It just gets weirder. They I were Jehovah's Witnesses. It was like so weird. going to write this. So, so let me ask So you. I told them, I, I invited them to the Delicious Festival. Oh, and this time she went without her picket signs. And her and her sister, Grace, came to the Delicious Festival as our guests and nice. hung out there. Helped the rabbi prepare for Passover. The rabbi whore. Shul, the rabbi whore, Rabbi Yona Bookstein. <laughs> And now she's written a memoir, and it's being turned into a movie. And you guys even met here together in Israel and right. talked to people here. Right. And she's totally turned the corner. You were telling me a we've fun spoken, fact. We've spoken at, at, in Chicago at the ADL. Yeah, go around spoke, speaking yeah, about this. Different places, Montreal. And you told me a fun fact before we started uh, recording that she ended up marrying one of those people that originally was sort of in a fight with her online as well. Like they weren't fighting. They were... Engaging. They were engaging in discussion, and and now they're married. Yeah, (laughs) now they're married. That's another like just wild. And now she lives in South Dakota. This movie is going to be awesome. You said it was being directed by the same director as Spider Man. Yep. I wonder if it's going to be action packed. Mark Webb. Mark Webb. He also did Five Hundred Days of Summer. Right. So it'll have a great soundtrack. This is all really exciting. Let me get back to a point because Twitter is so powerful. When it used to be more like, hey, look at what I ate today. And all these social media things, Snapchat, everything. But now you see it used by Trump, engaging in even battle like Iran, nuclear weapons. Bibi has used it here in Israel. How powerful of a form is it in terms of when it comes to the Middle East? What do you see it as? Living here? I mean, just in general, it depends how you use it. So if you're just using it to vent and you're not actually interested in conversation then you're just preaching to the choir and you're not really going to change hearts and minds at all. If you use it, however, to have a legitimate, valid, open-minded conversation with people that you disagree with, then you'll be fine. How is it used in the Middle East? Israel claims that the people in the stabbing intifada were radicalized by social media. Yeah, so... So that's... So in that vein, I want to play a game. (laughs) I like games. Come on. So the way this works is since you tweeted your way out of hell <laughs> with Megan. <laughs> I tweeted I, her out of hell, yeah. You tweeted her out of hell. So let's let's see how you would tweet when it comes to other world leaders, particularly though the focus in the Middle East, which disappointingly, I have to tell you, it's all men on this list because really all the leaders of all these countries or terrorist organizations happen to be run by men. <laughs> uh, imagine that. So if you were to tweet out to Muslim Brotherhood, what would that tweet in 140 characters look like? That's actually kind of funny. I was, I'm was i a member of an organization called the Muslim Jewish Conference. And of course you are. My co-chair in a committee that we sat in was like a big Muslim Brotherhood guy. And he was like super nice. Oh, we never nice. really discussed, you know, Hate Zionism politics. or whatever. But I don't know. A Muslim Brotherhood guy, I would probably, depending on where he's from. Oh, the, obviously. The tweets would focus on, on food. Food? For sure. That's how you engage. For sure. Oh, well, that's one so thing we have Jewish. in common. 
That's what we would have in common. Like, you know, where where do you get good knafe in your neck of the woods, you know? Amazing. So then let's go to the president of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Okay, they're Persian. So one thing Persians are really passionate about, and I don't even know why, <laughs> is rice. Yeah. They They're like, I'm like, I know how to make rice. And then they just laugh at you. You know, it's like, you you don't know anything about rice, you know. That may be true. I would rice. talk to them about, definitely rice. about rice. Reach out through rice. 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 All right. That's, that's the key to diplomatic success in Iran. And by the way, I want you to know that everybody on this list that I'm sharing with you, they're all really for real on Twitter. The next one, Hamas, actually has a special section just for the English. Like, they have a follow at Hamas Info, E-N. So, uh, <laughs> it's legit. So, what would you say to them? So, with Hamas, the discussions would probably focus around... Humus, obviously. Ah. Um, and it's interesting. I'd be really interested in knowing what the regional variations on Humus in Gaza are compared <laughs> to up here in Jerusalem or, or in, in the West Bank. And on top of that, another common point of interest that we would have that wouldn't be a source of conflict would be drones. So I've got like a Mavic Pro. I'm sure they have drones as well. So we could sit there and talk about like, okay, what are the best drones to have and which ones take the best pictures and... Of course. This is, I wonder if they would actually... You should do this after. <laughs> um, how about Hassan Nasrallah, who is the head of Hezbollah in Lebanon? He actually only has 1,200 followers. I wasn't impressed. Everybody else has got like hundreds of thousands. I think it's because he's probably underground. And he's in a get bunker, a, yeah. A he doesn't get, he doesn't get Wi-Fi. But if you had to talk to him, because they've been a serious source. We had a war with them, Israel, in 2006. Of course, we had the first Lebanon war. So what would you say to that dude? So Nasrallah's in Lebanon, and Lebanon has a rich culinary tradition. There goes food again. No, I mean, you, what, do you, what do I have in common with a guy that lives in a hole? You know, <laughs> food. I want to know about the cherries. Does he get them, like, when they're in season? Because Lebanese cherries are delicious. And then what kind of funky food does he eat in, in the dark in his little rat hole? So let's go from the guy in the <laughs> hole to the guy with a whole lot of everything, Jared Kushner. So he is the, of course, son You want of me to tweet Kushner? Yeah. You know what's fascinating <laughs> about Kushner, who is now, he is a White House diplomat. He's here. He comes to Israel to make peace, blah, blah, because uh, he's the son-in-law of Trump. He has a very unactive uh, Twitter site. He does not tweet. Well, I mean, do you think Hassan Nasrallah tweets? He does. He oh, actually is sitting yeah. there tweeting? Listen, he might have somebody tweeting for him. But this guy, Jared... Oh, today's hummus was very lumpy. Oh, and he's know, also Pakistani. Yeah, I didn't know Nasrallah <laughs> actually originated in Pakistan. So Jared Kushner, who's rich, balls loaded with money, married into the Trump family, so shebang more money. His cousin, his cousin's wife is a childhood friend of mine, and her name is Kim Kushner. And she's a very famous cookbook writer. Oh, so it's And the funny the thing is, is her mom is Moroccan. And her mom and my mom were childhood friends. So her first cookbook, which everybody freaked out over, like, oh my God, this food is so exotic and awesome, is the food that I grew up with. And I was just like, what? what? Wait, this is what we ate at home. Why is this like news, you know? So there's that Kushner connection with the food, for sure. And he also went to um, Frisch. 
my wife also went to Frisch in That's New like Jersey. a high school, religious school in New Jersey? Yeah, like a modern Orthodox All right. kind of place. Let's, so, keep it, let's keep it a little Jewy here. Now I see why you call it Jewelicious, for God's sakes. I got food on the brain. Well, again, you know, what are we going to talk about that we have in common? So how about... He's a Democrat. I would be a Democrat if I was... Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. <laughs> I feel like you probably have tweeted him maybe once. We would talk about pecan ice cream. No question about it. So, he also made fun of Jewlicious. He was like, Jewlicious? What is that? And I was like, Netanyahu. And he was like, oh, at least my name's in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, but you made up that name. Is that real? <laughs> yeah. It's that was a real conversation? That was a real conversation. So, let me wrap it up here. Do you think we should have, instead of actual ambassadors and consulates and all these things on the ground in different countries, would it be more effective to have social media ambassadors online doing essentially what you're you're saying, which is humanizing, most likely through food, to other crazy leaders, other crazies in the world, and that would bring around Middle East peace? Uh, one could always hope. One could always hope, but no, I doubt it. We'd all be talking about food all the time. But wouldn't that be better than Damn talking about World War Three and <laughs> the next nuke and where it's coming from? What I had for breakfast today. It's <laughs> yeah, that Twitter brings me back to, uh, is there going to be full frontal nudity in this uh, movie? Of course, in a metaphorical way, not. I, you know, I sat there, I told them, I told them I wanted Vin Diesel to play me. Oh. And I wanted them to incorporate a car chase scene. Of now course. that's possible because... Because Webb's directing, so who knows, right? He yeah. did Spider-Man. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel will not be playing me. And there will, in all likelihood, not be. I don't know. Where would they incorporate full frontal nudity? I don't know. You have to have like some sex. Maybe you were sitting at your computer tweeting naked. I was undoubtedly a vulnerable. I was undoubtedly tweeting naked. And maybe Megan was too. And maybe that that <laughs> brings us down to our core of who we are. No, we- but I lived in the Shook in a house with no air conditioning, and so, it was hot. So you were legit. I was for sure. Yeah, I was. I wasn't naked for like horny purposes. I was naked because it was hot. Of course hot. not. Who's who's on the internet looking for something horny? Uh, let's end it on that note, David. You've been a real trooper. Thank you for letting me bring around the child during this interview. She's very cute, by the way. And I know this doesn't lot. translate in voice, but she's she's adorable. She also likes to talk about food, mainly just eat it. Uh, and if you want to know more about David, how can they? learn about you what's the website they can the go twitter. to julicious.com or follow me on twitter i'm at julicious or follow me on instagram or facebook anything julicious any final thoughts for us any final tweets just be kind to people especially ones that you disagree with and you'd be surprised what can ensue Ooh, deep. Don't deep. Don't call people penis head like I did. Sorry, right. Megan. Penis head. Doesn't work. <laughs> well, that was a great interview. I can't tell if David was hungry the whole time or if the saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, actually applies to everyone included in the Middle East. Either way, if you enjoyed this interview and all the podcasts shared on iTunes, yeah, you can comment there. We are there. Of course, on Twitter, you can follow us at Mideast Beasties. On Facebook, The Mideast Beast. And the website, TheMideastBeast.com. You have been listening to another episode of The Mideast Beast Podcast. Until next time.